Awesome. All right. So um, we're going to get to Luke 18. It's going to take a little while, but we're going to get there. Um, so you'll have to hang tight because it is Epiphany Sunday. Um, if you don't know what Epiphany is, you're not alone. Um, it's just the, the, really the, the time on the church calendar, the Christian calendar after Christmas. If you didn't know, Christmas tide is a season of 12 days that ended yesterday or today. Now is Epiphany. It's this celebration when God revealed himself to the nations. And when did he do that for the first time, really, with baby Jesus, was with the Magi. God revealed himself to these pagan astrologers who trekked across the earth to come and see King Baby Jesus. They met with King Herod, if you'll remember, in Matthew 12. If you don't, that's fine. You can go back and look at it later. Um, King Herod then wanted to, to kill the Savior. They also wanted to kill the, 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 the wise men, the Magi. But their journey to worship the newborn king would not and could not be thwarted. Nothing could stand in their way to want to come into the presence of their newborn king and worship. This was baby Jesus they came to worship. And in the same way, God has revealed his son to us. Actually, not only just in the same way, but because we all are Gentiles. We all were worshiping something before God revealed himself to us and brought us near to himself. We actually have more theological content in our pocket with our phone than anyone in history. We have more and easier access than what these magi had, they had to trek across the earth to come and keep, see King Jesus. We have better access and more access to more content than anyone who has ever walked the earth until this point. God has revealed himself to us, made it available to us through technology and human means, yes, but also by his Holy Spirit. That's what the kids uh, recited this morning, that, that we were washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so I just kind of want to invite us into what would happen if we were the Magi? What if we were these people that God has revealed himself to you? What's your response? What's your response in a new year? You're here, so like I'm kind of preaching to the choir, so to speak, but you're here, right? But, but, but there's going to be a next week and the week after that and the week after that. And then there's tomorrow when there's no one holding you accountable to that prayer calendar or that reading plan. What will be our response? Would we, trek, would we have trekked across the desert, past the unknown, to get into the pre presence of, of baby Jesus? Because remember, it's baby Jesus. He can't do anything for you yet. That's who they've come to worship, to give their gifts to him. They're not there to receive from him. He's a baby. They're there to give to King Jesus. What will be our response See, for them, they came to give, and so for us, I wonder what we do. When God is beckoning us into his presence, inviting us to come near, my fear, my concern, my own experience tells me that we find other things to do. We get, we get busy, which actually, we're not busy, right? No one's busy. We're not busy. We're distracted. We're so distracted with other things that we have to use our free time to catch up on the things we were supposed to do. So it looks like we're busy. Oh, I got to get that stuff done. I, 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 well, you've been sitting on Facebook and Instagram for four hours. Of course you're now busy. Maybe it's just me. Right? We're, we're, we're busy. And, and the thing is, is that we're too busy to hear the truth about King Jesus who's beckoning us, 
who through whispers to us is trying to give us the truth and we're distracted by this great marketing machine of consumerism through our phones, which is listening. If, if I mentioned, uh, you know, something today, it'd probably be in your phone by the time you went to lunch. Not that I've been looking at these, but let's just say Traeger Grills or Rectech Grills or maybe Camp Chef Grills. That's all over my Facebook feed. Why? Because they're looking, they're watching, they're predicting my behavior, and then they're putting it before me to go, hey, don't you want one of these? Yes, I do. In due time. <laughs> but we're distracted by that, and I keep clicking on those ads, right? I know they're tracking me, but I keep clicking on them anyways. We are distracted. That phone is listening to us like we should be listening to Jesus attentively. Wondering what he wants for us. Predicting where he wants us to be and to go. The machine of consumerism is winning the war, I fear, for our attention, our affection, and our adoration. And I just wonder how we'll respond. And so to piggyback off of the magi who God revealed to them. And then to some of our priorities that we've been talking about for not just a few days with this prayer calendar, but literally months since our five-year anniversary in November, we've been putting it before you to say, let's be praying, let's be praying, let's just saturate ourselves in prayer. My hope and my, my desire today is to put before us a priority of prayer. Now, here's what I know just happened. Half of you checked out. They just went, oh, good. <laughs> A sermon on prayer, I'll pass. If you're anything like me, that's a little bit about what just happened. Because as a pastor, I know how to thin the herd. You talk about missions and you talk about prayer. And those are the things that usually go, okay, now the committed people are here. The seekers are they're not interested, right? But that's what we need to be about. And that's what I'm calling us towards as pastor of this small church here in Pecan Grove, right? My hope for us is that we would start to ask some hard questions about prayer. Preaching this sermon has caused me to ask some hard questions about prayer. Um, you ever wonder why you're not interested? I, I wondered why I'm not interested in prayer. Can I, uh, just confession time. Now, whenever I confess, there's like a lot of different responses. One of them is, oh, you're a pastor, you're not allowed to pray, like, you're not allowed to say stuff like that. I'm just telling you, I'm gonna keep it real. I wanna be uh, uh, transparent with you the other part is that some of you try to fix me after this. I'm not interested in the fix. Okay, so don't come up to me afterwards and give me all your pointers about prayer. I don't, I don't know. All right? But here's the deal, right? Is that if you haven't already checked out, perhaps we can kind of get into this understanding of why are we not interested in prayer? Because I will tell you this. I tried not to preach this sermon this week about four times until it was Thursday. And I was like, Lord, I, okay, I'll pray. I'll, I'll, I'll preach it. It was already somewhat written, and it was like, okay, I surrender, right? But why aren't we interested in prayer? I think one of the main reasons is because we have forgotten the great battlefield of prayer. If we read our uh, Old Testament, we would see this picture in the book of Daniel. And I'm just going to, they're going to put it up before you, right, with this priority of prayer for us. Daniel 10, verse 13. It's like, this is one of those, like the she-bears that maul the 42 kids. That you're in the Bible, and you're going, oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. When Daniel prays and, and this figure comes and puts his hand on Daniel to reassure him, and this is the words that this figure says to Daniel in Daniel 10, verse 13. He says, the prince, he says, man, like, you've been praying and, and, and I've been delayed. The prince of the kingdom of Persia 
withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, so here's what you need to see. Satan has been standing against me, but Michael, one of the, the archangels, the, the, the chief angels, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days. So it's just verse, verse 13, really, that's kind of fascinating to me, that, that that Daniel's been praying, but there's been a spiritual force that's been coming against the answer to his prayer. That indeed, our prayers, the answers to our prayers, Grove, the answers to our prayers are the treasure over which demons and angels are waging war. That's an important understanding for us. If we're going to pray, we have to understand the enemy wants us not to pray. The enemy wants to keep us out of our Bible. The enemy wants to keep us off of our knees. The enemy wants to do all sorts of things to keep us from coming to see the newborn king. He'll put kings in your way to say, well, I don't know. But when you see him, you let me know. I want to go worship him. Just like King Herod. He'll dis distract us, keep us busy, keep us doing really good things like parenting our children and doing all the things that we got to do. The answers to our prayers are the treasure over which demons and angels are waging war. And so again, I just kind of have some confessions, right? Like I don't enjoy prayer. What would happen if a pastor said that? Would, we, would, the, would the place just burn up? It's like exercise to me, which as, as you can see, I also enjoy. <laughs> Prayer's like exercise to me. Like, I'm going to do it. It's going to be good for me. I will never regret praying. I will never regret sometimes. I can't say the same thing for exercise. But I will never regret praying, right? But it is, to me, this is how, I, this is just how I'm wired. I like to, to, to get on my knees for an hour a day is a strong, deep discipline that I'm working towards. Five or seven or 10 minutes a day or 15 or however, however much we can do. But it is a discipline for me. And perhaps I tell you all that because if I can admit that about myself, then maybe you can admit it that you don't enjoy it either. Maybe you can admit that that's the reason why you don't pray. Maybe you can come to the point where you can repent of that as I am. And go, man, like beyond what I think about it or feel about it, it's a command. We'll get to those barriers here in just a minute. But for us, I think for us, what if we looked at the priority of prayer by the first, starting with the life of Jesus? Look at Jesus' prayer life. When you think about his life, what's the one thing that you think about? Like when you think about, man, Jesus was a really great leader, teacher. What would, what would you kind of put in that blank? I, I'm going to bet it's not prayer. Prayer? That, that he, made, he made disciples and that he performed miracles and that he endured the cross. Before the disciples and behind the miracles, what was there? It was prayer. And so let me just outline for us several passages that in, 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 in Jesus' life help us understand the priority with which Jesus prayed. And then we'll get to the rest of what we're going to talk about today. So we think like, okay, he was the, the greatest disciple maker that ever was. And that's true before he made disciples. In Luke 6, verse 12 and 13, what did Jesus do? 
The night before he was calling his disciples to himself. He says, this is what the Bible says. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. And if you kept reading, you would see all the names. So most of them that we don't know, but there are a few that we do. And out of that night of prayer, I dare I say, anybody you, you spent a night in prayer? I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to learn from you. But like, if you spent a whole night in prayer, surely you would come out of that and be like, I got it. Here's the plan. And out of that plan, Jesus, in his wisdom, selected John the Beloved, Peter the Deserter, eight other absentee disciples that were not there at the cross, and a guy by the name of Judas. Was his prayer ineffective? Did prayer not work? You see, instead, it's not about working. Prayer isn't about work. It's instead about how we are surrendering our control over the things that we want to work out and instead look to, for God to work out his desire, his perceived, or, or his desires instead of our perceived results. Praying isn't about results. Instead, it's about our relationship with our Father and Jesus pulls us into that priority. Just four chapters after he calls his disciples, Jesus then sends out his disciples in Luke 10, 1 to 3. And it says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two into every town and a place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What then should you do? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus sends them out with nothing. No provisions, no promise that it's going to be anything other than dangerous. A sheep among wolves, I send you out, ill-equipped. This is Luke 6 to 10. They didn't have their, their spiritual formation classes. They didn't have their Bible studies. They didn't have their right now media in your pocket. They didn't have any of that. It was just, just following Jesus simply and purely, Luke 6 to 10. And then he sends them out on mission. And he says, this is going to be like sheep among wolves. This is going to be way, way over your head. Do we live a life? where we need to pray? See, Jesus' life is calling us to a place that is not safe, but we'll find the goodness of God there that we're living really a life over our head. What would happen if we actually lived a life that needed prayer? What if we actually desired or got past the barrier that we don't want to and then goes, you know what? It doesn't matter if I want to. This is God's will for me because he's put it down in his scripture to pray for my enemies, to be reconciled with those that are at odds with us. Wouldn't you need to pray? Like, wouldn't you need to like just get on your knees if not for five minutes to obey God in that way? So like, here's another example. Like, Sports is about to like take off again. I was surprised at how quickly the reg registration for, for baseball and softball just started hitting my inbox over the break. And, and then, you know, all the other things that kind of just come at you with, with school. And so here's what I kind of see is like, okay, so what if when we engage in sports with our kids, this is my life, right? You, you engage in these sports, your activities or whatever it may be with your kids. And instead of avoiding the people that annoy you, not that I would ever do any of this, 
Instead of avoiding the people that annoy you, or you go, man, that person just needs Jesus. Like, I can't. You go, that person needs Jesus, and that's why I'm here, is to invite them to follow Jesus. Not to berate them. That's not our call. Not to convince them that Jesus is king. Also not our call. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But to live a life that just goes, hey, like, what's your life about? I want to hear about you. I know you do, like, sports and stuff. But, like, what's your life about? What do you do for a living? And where do you guys live? And what, like, you got family here? Where, where'd you grow up? And all of a sudden, you're down the road that 30 minutes later, you go, I don't know how we got here. Wouldn't you need, though, at some point when they asked you what you care about and what, you, what your life is about, you'd have to have to pray in that moment and go, man, I better have boldness. Lord, help me have boldness. And my life is about Jesus, and that's taken me all kinds of different places. Last, to this suburb, which I never thought I'd be, but here I am doing this thing called life with Jesus and my family, and that's why we're doing this, and that's why we're doing this. Would we have the boldness to be able to get in over our heads like the first disciples when he sent them out? If not for the calling and the, and, the, and the maturation of his disciples, maybe that's not what you think of with Jesus. Maybe it's the miracles. But may I remind you that with the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, what was Jesus found doing? Before the feeding of the 5,000, he wanted to get away to mourn John the Baptist's death. And he went to a desolate place. But instead he saw the people and had compassion on them. And when he fed the 5,000, what did he do? He sent off the disciples across the lake and he went up to the mountain and he prayed. He prayed. When he was in the midst of doing miracles, he was saturated in prayer. What gave him the power? It was being connected to his father. Maybe it's the cross that you think about. It's not the disciples or the miracles, but it's the cross. And in Matthew 26, what do we see? When Jesus is about to endure the cross, what is the weapon of choice that he wields against his enemy? It's not a sword, Peter. It's prayer. Would you go over there and sit and pray while I go over here and sit and pray? Lord, not as, my, not as I will, but as you will. What's the point? Why am I bringing up Jesus' prayer life? Because prayer for him and therefore for us wasn't only or primarily about getting what Jesus wanted or needed. Instead, prayer was the catalyst for obedience to his father. The fact that he even wanted to obey his father was, was, was fueled by his prayer life. And Jesus' prayer life invites us to trust our father's character when his will seems mysterious. It invites us to trust his presence when he seems busy with someone more important. It invites us to trust in his provision when it seems that there is no power available for the task at hand. See, if the strongest, wisest, most creative person to ever walk the planet was saturated in prayer, how much more for us? But we don't. But I don't. You're over there going, don't put me in that category. Right? So let's just work through some barriers quickly to prayer. I only have nine. No, actually, you don't think I'm kidding. Only the, only the guests think I'm kidding. Um, so number one, like we're far too easily distracted. We, we, we knocked that one out of the park. We're, we're just too easily distracted. Number two, we don't understand the importance of spiritual warfare. Um, that, that's, that's there, right? We're, we're far too easily pleased with a life that we can manage over a life that's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Um, there's one in here that I just added this morning, so Eddie doesn't have it. I don't know how much is getting on the screen, but there's one in here that says, I think I have to pray a certain way. 
Like I have a prayer bench in my house and I use it sometimes, but the best times of prayer are when I'm walking around the neighborhood. Actually, the best times of prayer is when I'm mowing the yard, but I've not been able to do that this winter because the grass doesn't grow. I'm about to mow a yard that doesn't need it <laughs> just to connect with Jesus because that's where the Holy Spirit just clears my mind and I can look back and go, I'm accomplishing a task. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, what else would you like me to do with my life? I can connect with him. And so I, have to, I used to think that I just got to journal all the time. I used to think, oh, man, if you're not on your knees and you don't have a posture in your heart that's open to surrender, I mean, maybe. But I don't have to look like you or you don't have to look like me. Instead, I'm just going to, wherever I got to go to get with the Lord, I'm going to do that. We forget that prayer is a command, right? In Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We don't believe God when he says things like, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Do we believe that? Like that's one that's like, oh man, you sure about that, Jesus? It's ask anything in my name, not in yours, not in mine. We pray wrong. Did you know that you can pray wrong? I was reminded of this this week. And James, you don't have to go there, Eddie, but I'll just read it. James says this, you ask and you do not receive. What? James, brother of Jesus, says, because you ask wrongly. Hmm. What is the wrong ask? To spend it on your passions. But you want God to make you, to bless you, because you want a boat. Not that I've ever prayed that. <laughs> another, another barrier. We've made a mess of our, of our marriages. Do you know that in 1 Peter, it talks about how we must deal with one another, particularly husbands to wives, in a, in a gentle and in an understanding way. Why? Because Peter says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you treat your wife like trash, guaranteed God's not going to answer your prayer. And vice versa. Like, he's just not into that. He instead wants you to repent, come to him, ask for forgiveness, go to your wife or your husband and go, hey, I messed up. Our prayers may be hindered by the fact that our marriages are a mess. And then finally, this last one. And I'll spend a little bit more time here. Shame. See, this is the one that, that has been sitting on me for, for too long. Why would I not preach on shame for five years, preach on prayer in five plus years of leading this church? Because I'm not good at it. How can I stand before you and ask you to pray consistently along a calendar if I'm not going to do the same thing? And so maybe for the first time, I just got surrounded by podcasts and music and, and readings and all these things that the Lord was just kind of constantly putting before me from about June on just like, so you're going to keep ignoring this? Apparently it took six months for me to listen. Shame, right? We, we don't know. We, we do know that we should pray, but we don't. And knowing the right thing to do and not doing it consistently produces a voice of shame that grows over time. And that voice of shame whispers to us, there is something wrong with you. You're a fraud. You should be better than this, than what you really are. 
You're a Christian and you act that way? You called yourself a child of God and that we just, we ended on like with, with Christmas Eve and, and, and that's, you won't even go to your father. You sure he's your father? You hear the voice and it grows over time and yet God has given us the spirit to disarm this voice of shame when we admit that we're not good at it actually. We haven't wanted to be good at this for a long time and we have let our prayer lives slide far for far longer than we should have. And the good news is this, that the Christian life is a life of freedom because we are not judged by God based on our performance, but instead accepted by God based on the performance of Jesus on our behalf if we would just believe. And so it's no wonder that we keep looking at the, the life of Jesus to say like, how should we pray? And that's exactly what his disciples said, right? The voice of shame can be smothered and our pre pressure relieved. And you might think, well, how? How can, we, how can we silence the voice of shame? And this is what silenced it for me, and I pray it's a help to you. Admitting that we don't know how to do this. Luke 11, we're all in Luke, right? Luke 6, Luke 10, Luke 11, they go out. They make their disciples, they come back, and in Luke 11, 1, they look at Jesus and look at what they say to Jesus about his prayer life. 11, 1, this is such a gift to us. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What you have, I want. I don't have that. I want what you have, Jesus. Would you teach us to pray? Just like John, the Baptist when he taught his disciples to pray, something happened in the world. I don't know what it was, but when they prayed, something happened. When you pray, Jesus, something crazy happens, and I want that. See, an appetite is fueled in our humility to realize, like, we don't know. We don't know how to pray all that well, and it's okay. Disciples from the get-go have admitted they're not good at prayer. It's one of, the, one, the, one of the only things in the scriptures that Jesus actually teaches them to do because they've asked him, I'm not good at this. Everything else, they kind of just pretended they were good at it. Right? Like, I'll get on the water. Hey, Jesus, these guys are bothering you. Shall we call down fire from heaven? Hey, I know you're about to die. Can I take this, this sword and chop off that dude's ear? Like we just have this tendency to be a little bit more puffed up than we ought to be. But when it comes to prayer, the disciples, that's you and me, we are welcome to ask Jesus, teach me. I don't know. So perhaps that's where you are in this new year. That's where I've been. I don't know how to do this, Lord. That, that prayer bench is staring at me every day. Man, it just heaps shame on me. Because then I'm just basing my life based on whether or not I did something or not. And so on what you have done on my behalf. So man, that, 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 that verse is such a gift to us that the disciples asked for him to teach them. So as we end, let's just look at some tips from Luke 18 on how to get things started. And I want to go in reverse order. You're like, did we read Luke 18? Yeah, that's how we started. So verse 15 to 17, right? This is what Jesus says. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked the people. But Jesus called to them and saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child shall not enter it. This comes on the, 
the, the heels of 14 verses on prayer and let us not separate the let the little children come to me from these, these, this, this hope in prayer. Instead, let us, first things first, let us not complicate our prayer lives. Let us not complicate our prayer lives. Instead, let us pray like a child. I mean, have you taken inventory over what your kids have asked you for? Like recently? I don't know about your family, but we had a nice big Christmas thing. And then on December the 25th, still, my five-year-old says, hey, can we go to the store? I want some more Beyblades. Bro, you just got done opening 18 packages of Beyblades. If you don't know Beyblades are, the Lord bless you and keep you. You just stay ignorant. You just keep after it. He wants more. The audacity of my five-year-old to ask me for more after we just... Not just us, but like the whole family was like, Beyblades, upon Beyblades, upon Beyblades. You want more? And Jesus says, let, let, them, let them pray to me like him. Because here's the other thing I know is about Christmas. My five-year-old will still ask for crazy stuff. Stuff that I, like, they don't make, bro. I, I, I don't know what that is. They don't make that. My 11-year-old doesn't ask for stuff like that anymore. When I looked at her first revision of her Christmas list, I was like, this is it? She's like, well, I just figured, you know, you, you maybe you don't want to, maybe you can't. I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. We're not, we're not playing that game. Don't assume my character. We're not playing that game. You fill this thing out. You want an iPhone 11? Put it on there. You ain't getting it. Put it on there. <laughs> Put it on there. Ask for whatever you want. Don't you govern yourself because you think that you know the character of your father. Instead, come to him like a child and ask him that he may answer you out of his goodness. I'd love to say that that was a great example because I gave my kids iPhone 11, but I'm a better parent than that, people. <laughs> and for you that gave your kids iPhone 11, the Lord bless you and keep you as well. <laughs> right? So we start small and we ask without reservation or on whether or not you can, you can, you can do something with it. Right? Whether we need it or we want it, it's got to be asked for. The other thing that children do is that they go to their parents and they ask for help. They don't just ask for stuff. They go, hey, that thing just happened in our lives. What was that about? Can't you go to your father and ask the same thing? Hey, that, this just like... I don't know what that was. Could you help me understand what you were doing with this? Because I'm having a hard time making sense of that. It's the same thing our kids do with us when things are disorienting for them. So the first thing is like, don't complicate things. The second thing is, start small. Start small in content and start small in time. I'll read again. We're just kind of working backwards now in Luke 18, verses 9 here. And he also told this parable to them who, who trusted themselves that they, might, uh, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thusly, God, I thank you that I'm not like this filthy sinner. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy right over here. Because you know I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I got. Hoping that your works would be the things that would hear, that would, that would bend God's ear to you. We do this. Don't we get with the Lord and go, hey, you haven't answered these prayers and yet I've been faithful. Now we may not be saying I'm more faithful than Tim over here. But we are saying I've been faithful. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Will we start small both in our, our posture before the Lord, the content that we bring before the Lord, and the time that we put into this? See, the thing is about prayer is that it elicits humility. Implicit in the act of prayer is that you are not powerful. You are not wise, and you are not skilled enough for whatever it is that you need to ask for. Pharisees stand on their own goodness, and sinners stand before God based on the mercy of God, and they pray prayers like this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, the mystics and church fathers have taken a hold of that prayer and called it the Jesus prayer. And if we were to go back to the people that were really good at prayer throughout history, they would say, make that the constant repetition of your lips, O Christian. O Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We pray that often. What a simple and small prayer that we can pray often. So we start small in content, but we also need to start small in time. Like you and I, don't, though we don't wake up trying to think that we're going to run a marathon, that would be dangerous. We would have to do like I did in August, which is like call your spouse 14 times when you herniate a disc. You're like, oh, I did too much. That would be the result of trying to run a marathon on day one. Instead, start small. A marathon runner, not that I know and probably don't ever want to know, but they start small. It's what I've heard. And they count those small, simple tasks along the way. Okay, I, I ran a, a mile today. I ran three. I ran five. I ran 10 and then 15. And then all of a sudden they're up in their training regiment and they're really close. But they didn't start that way. And for those of us that have struggled with prayer for however long you've been walking with the Lord, may we start small. Let's not strain a spiritual muscle, get discouraged and just quit. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's 10. Carve something out dedicate it to the Lord, and enjoy him. Finally, not just that we would have these little small tips for us. Don't complicate things. Start small. Finally, be per persistent. The last one here in verse 18, verses 1 through 8. And this is, my, this is one of my favorite parables. And he told them a parable to the effect that, he ought, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You're going to lose heart, but that we would always pray. He said this, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the unjust judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Man, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. What is God talking about right now? And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, that's you and me if we believe, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Brothers and sisters, let us bother our faithful God with simple, small, and big requests. And let us not give in to the lie that God is too busy or that he isn't listening to the cries of his people. Indeed, he is listening. He is longing for us to be faithful, even when we don't get what we want, especially when we don't get 
what we want. Let us be a faithful and persistent people in prayer. Let us fail along the way. Let us fumble forward. Let us continue to trust in the goodness and the nearness of our God, Emmanuel. God be with us. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful that you are meeting us where we are. Some of us in this room are saying, I, I can't do that. You ask me to pray out loud from the stage, I can't, I can't pray out loud. You ask me to pray in neighborhood group, no, I can't pray, can't do that. I can't pray for you, I can't pray for others, I can't pray for strangers, I can't walk up to that person and ask them, how can I pray for them? I can't, I can't read scripture, I can't pray. I can't do this for more than two minutes. Holy Spirit, remind us that you have provided everything that we need for godliness. That's what your word says. We have everything that we need by the power of your spirit. Remind us of that. But also, Lord, help us get past the I can'ts and get into, but what, what, what can I do? And let us pray that. Can we pray for 30 seconds? Let's pray for 30 seconds. Can we pray for someone else, not out loud, but, but it, it, in the quietness of our hearts? Let's do that. Does persistence for us not mean every minute of every day, but it might mean once a month? All right, we'll be persistent in that way until it goes to once a week, until it goes to more than that. But let us take the posture of humility. Holy Spirit, for real right now, give us a posture of humility like your first disciples had that just says, I don't know how to do this, but Lord, teach me. I mean, what would happen if the people of God approached the Lord of all things, creator of all people, and just asked for help on how to do what it is you're calling us to do, first and foremost, to come and worship King Jesus, who is no longer a baby, nor is he dead. But he lives and he reigns and he rules at the right hand of the Father where he lives to pray for his people. Would we join him in prayer? Holy Spirit, remind us that you're good, you're near, and help us as we continue to respond in song. We love you and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.